Come with me where dreams are born and time is never planned. Just think of happy things and your heart will fly on wings forever in never, never land. Forget them all and come with me where you'll never, never have to worry about grown-up things again. Even though you want to try, never grow up. These are the famous words of, of Peter Pan. And they also describe to us a great strategy of Satan. Satan works and moves to ensure that you and I, well, that we never grow up. That we never mature in Christ. That we never learn to think about the deep things of God or, or others. No, no, He summons us time and again to follow the course of this world. To follow our dreams. And to think only of ourselves. He summons us to shirk all grown-up responsibilities. Friends, the devil is real. I think the thief of John chapter 10 describes him well when it says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Indeed, we have a very real enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion waiting for someone to devour. And indeed, that roaring lion is prowling about in the background of these chapters within Ephesians. The schemes of Satan are not outside of the mind of Paul when he is writing these instructions to the Ephesians. Remember in the first three chapters, he's writing about doctrine, who we are in Christ. He says, you have been chosen in Christ Jesus, to be adopted into my family. You were dead, then you heard the gospel, the Spirit worked, and you were made alive. Alive to God. And now, in the second part of Ephesians, Paul is outlining for us devotion that comes as a result of that doctrine. This is, this is who you've been made in Christ, and so now, you're going to live in light of that. You have been adopted into the family of God, and now it's time for you to start living according to the family name. You have been born again, and now it's time for you to learn how to walk according to the ways of righteousness. And so Paul, in chapter 4, when he begins to tell us about our devotion, he really centers everything on two major themes. You've probably seen them scattered throughout. He, he wants us to, in verse 3, you see it, maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He goes on to tell us there's one body, one Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, and we have been made one in Christ. And so he calls us, he says, he's, you need to mature in your thinking. You need to mature and maintain the unity that Christ has purchased. And he tells us that God has given us the resources to do just that. He's given us gifted teachers and leaders. He's, he's gifted each member of 
the church, of each local church, to do the work of ministry. You see that in verse 12? They equip the saints for the work of ministry so that every member of a church, every member of this church, is called to ministry to one another. And what is the purpose of this ministry? It's for the building up of the body of Christ. The growing up of the body of Christ. And you see verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so we're, we're called to grow into this maturity, grow up in maturity, and to grow in unity. These two things happen together. And Paul is specifically talking about this in regards to our knowledge of God. Right? Do you see this? Until we attain, until we mature, then verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so that it builds itself up in love. And so you can see, Paul is very much concerned with the church maturing, with maintaining unity. And he says we need to grow up into that. And so it should come as no surprise to us that Satan and the host of hostile powers at his back work against that. It is the desire of the evil one that we would be divided, not united. It is the desire of the evil one that we would remain theological infants, that we would never learn to walk in the ways of Christ. Indeed, he would delight if we returned back to chapter 2, walking according to our trespasses and sins. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So we recognize that against that backdrop of Satan's schemes, Paul has, that, has these works of the devil in mind as he gives us these very practical acts of devotion. So you see in verse 17 through 24 where, where we were last week, Paul says, now, now that you're in Christ, you need to stop walking in the way of the Gentiles, the way of the world, to stop walking worldly. He says, and how you do that is you gives us kind of an analogy that makes us think of clothes, right? He says, you need to take off the old man and you need to put on the new man. So if you want to really think about it vividly, you like think about a threadbare uh, pair of sweatpants made with some stains on them, maybe the ones that you wore like every day over 2020, right, in your house. And you, you, you take off the, the old man and you're putting on like real pants, right? Like Like... Your new man, the new self, it's clean and bright. And like a nice pair of Crocs. Holy, good. He says, we, we are going to live in a new way. That's what, the, that's what the illustration is about. We're going to follow Christ. And so he's, he's ultimately saying, we who are in Christ need to be out with the old, off with the old, and on with the new. And part of how he tells us to do that, you see in verse 23, is by the renewing in the spirit of your mind. 
by renewing our minds, by thinking well. And so all that brings us to what I think is, I'm trying to summarize as the main idea of this last half of chapter 4, and a way for us to think about the chapter as a whole. Off with the old, and on with the new. And it's in light of that that I want to exhort you to grow up and to give no opportunity to the devil. And then this week specifically, it's speak the truth in love. You can see I made your insert a little bit more complicated today. But I give you a big outline of what our next few weeks together will look like. We're we're going to try to make sure, as you see Paul talk in verse 27, he says, give no opportunity to the devil. We're going to try to understand that we are being devoted to God in these ways, and part of that devotion is, is obviously to give God glory and to live according to the call with which we have been called. But another part of that, which goes with it, is to guard against the schemes of Satan, to give no opportunity to the devil, as he says in verse 27. And so I kind of tried to capture some, there's 13 imperatives in like six or seven verses here, okay? And so I tried to kind of group them together so that we could talk about them a little bit topically over the next few weeks. So this week is speech, you see next week is anger, and we're going to talk about old habits and, and grudge bearing, and, and it all is situated underneath of this banner of grow up, off with the old, on with the new. With me? And so today we're focusing on speech, and so I'm going to encourage you to promote unity with speech that is true, not false, that is helpful, not harmful, and that is Christ-like, not worldly. My points will start larger and then get smaller in terms of the amount of time we spend on this. All that said, let's pray and get started together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that by it we come to life and your spirit regenerates our hearts. We thank you that these words in Ephesians are not, at this point, instructions about how to become a Christian, but about how to live now that we are Christians. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you that Jesus' death pays for the sins of all who trust in him, that his life earns the blessings of God, of you, for everyone who trusts in him. That his resurrection is a preview of our own future when he comes to redeem the earth, make all things new. But we thank you that this good news is just that. It's news. It's not, not a call to conjure up within ourselves the ability to believe or to be righteous or to earn right relationship with you. But it's news that is announced that when believed results in our salvation. We thank you that anyone, anyone, even the chief of sinners, can turn from their sins and put their faith in Christ and have life. We pray that you would help us to keep the doctrine gospel in our minds this morning as we talk a little bit about what 
living according to the gospel looks like. We pray that you would keep us from allowing our efforts to honor Christ in obedience turn into attempts to earn what we've already been given in Christ. Help us to remember that we live from acceptance, not for acceptance. Lord, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Look with me at verse 25 of chapter 4. Verse 25. Therefore, this is in light of all that's happened before, the therefore, what's it there for? So off with the old, on with the new, renewing our mind. You've been made new in Christ. You're not to walk like the Gentiles anymore, not to walk like the world. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Lies divide. Falsehoods harm. And we, those who are in Christ, which is manifest, made evident in our life together here as a local church, we are to speak the truth with one another because we are one in Christ. We're, we're one body. And you see, because we are one body, when we lie to one another or about one another, it does harm, not, not just to us, but to all those around us, to the whole body. Right, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26, if one member suffers, that's one member of the body, like your arm is a member of the body, right? So if one member suffers, the whole body suffers. So if you've ever stubbed your toe in the morning, and you're walking about, a little bit groggy, you scream because that stubbing of your toe impacts your whole body. Your whole body feels that pain in some way. And so, likewise, lies divide. Falsehoods within the church impact the whole church like yeast in dough. So we're called to speak truth with one another. We don't want to cut off our nose to spite our face or to smash our feet with hammers. That would be foolish. And yet this is what we do when we speak to one another with falsehood. It should come as no surprise to us that the evil one and those powers at his command would work hard to tempt us towards embracing falsehood and telling lies to and about one another. I mean, after all, he is the father of lies. Remember, Jesus is speaking to those Jews who, who quote-unquote believed, right? They say they believe, but they haven't actually believed. He's kind of rebuking them. He says in John 8, they, they're like, hey, we have Abraham as father, so we're good. And he's like, no, no, no. You are of your father, the devil. Jesus, you know, not always the, the softest character, right? You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. 
When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. See, we want to put away falsehood and speak truth to one another because our words, whether they are truthful or falsehoods, are an indication about who we belong to. So Paul's saying, hey, you no longer walk according to the course of the world. Now you are to walk in the way of Christ, in the way of love. Therefore, you may not speak like your old master used to speak, the father of lies. No, no, no. You are to start acting like a child of God. You've been adopted into the family, and therefore you are to speak the truth. Because this is what characterizes those who are in Christ. That they love truth, speak truth, and that they put off falsehoods. We are to be off with the old and on with the new. We are to reject the lies that we used to believe and live according to and embrace the truth of God in His Word. We're to live according to it. And so I think we do well to ask, what kind of falsehoods in particular does Paul have in mind here? And I think there are two. False doctrine, A, and B, false faces. Before we get to that, though, I do, didn't want to skip over this. I kind of did. Do you see where Paul roots the ground, where he grounds this command in verse 25? He says, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. And you go, well, why, why would we speak the truth with our neighbor, Paul? And he says, for this reason, for, because we are members of one another. A little surprising, right? I would expect him to say, speak the truth with one another because this is consistent with the character of God. Speak the truth with one another because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's not what he says. Those things are true, but he says, put away falsehood, speak the truth with one another because we are members of one another. And so Paul is saying one of the reasons we need to speak truth is just what we talked about a second ago, is because we belong to one another as one body. And our unity is that important. And so, so let's talk about those falsehoods that we are to put off because we are members of one another. False doctrine. False doctrine. Paul has a concern with doctrine throughout. You can see that he talks about we've been given the ministry of teachers and leaders to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And then the reason for that comes to us in verse 14. Why? So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine. You see, Satan always tries to undermine God's truth and replace it with lies. Whether they're his lies, the world's lies, or lies that we create within ourselves. Uh, from the very beginning, Satan has called us not to meditate on the Word of God, but to just think of happy things so that our hearts will fly on wings and we will remain forever in Never Never Land. 
as children tossed to and fro by the waves. This has always kind of been his tactic, right? From the very beginning, right? When, when Satan makes his premier performance in Genesis 3, right? The tactic's the same. Look, look with me. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent, this is Satan, the adversary, the evil one, Beelzebul, same character. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You won't surely die. Same strategy. right? He says, here's what God has said. Don't believe that, even though it's the truth. Instead, here is a wonderful lie for you to believe. And what does he do? He rejects the truth, and she picks up on that lie. Satan has a way of giving lies to us in such a way as to make them appear delicious so that we take them and eat, and find that we are divided from one another and from God. That's a repeat of the garden. There's no, I think it's no mistake that the first doctrine denied in Scripture is judgment. You won't die. That's the thought of, of even many professing Christians. I, I can do this sin because I really want to, and, and God would never judge me. I won't surely die. I can, I can make believe, like a child, and ignore the truth of God's Word. You will surely die. I am digressing there. And so, to the point, is that Satan's strategy has not changed. He wants us to remain theological infants, and so he helps to raise up really charismatic false teachers. They are all over the place in evangelical subculture. You've got to be very careful. A lot of good-looking men and women in sharp suits with great smiles that are lying to you. I've talked to a few people that have been seduced by these lies because the best lies are always laced with truth. Right? Well, you know, so-and-so opens the Bible, and so it must be true. But as we saw in Genesis 3, the best false teachers twist the Word of God, change the Word of God to suit their own ends. Friends, Satan and demons and, and all the forces of evil present themselves as angels of light. The best-tasting lies have truth mixed in. We want to be very careful about who we trust to teach us the Bible. And we want to test everything with what the Bible says. You want to test what I say with what the Bible says. 
Because if the Bible doesn't say it, then it is not authoritative for you. We are called to follow God and to submit to His Word. We must put off false doctrine. And how we do this is by gathering ourselves to good teaching, giving ourselves to God's Word, by renewing our minds. Did you see that in verse 14? Right? We said we don't want to be tossed by the waves, by every wind of doctrine, by human cutting, human cunning. And then we go down in verse 17, don't walk as the Gentiles, as the world does, in the futility of what? Their minds. They're darkened in their understanding. And then you get to the, put this off, put this on, and what, is, what does Paul say? Be renewed, verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. It's really interesting here, that verb is in the passive. And so it's actually saying like, sit there and allow God to renew your mind. And it's also something that we're to pursue, right? It's a very similar command in Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world. You guys will probably know this one, right? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so we can see what, what Paul is saying in part here is grow up, know the truth, Guard unity, mature by the renewing of your mind. So I try to think of some practical ways we do this. I came up with quite a few. One, we renew our minds by remembering the gospel, by remembering Jesus, his perfect life, his substitutionary death, his justifying resurrection, his promise to return and make all things new. That is our center, our foundation. We want to remember Jesus. We also want to read the Word. We want to do our devotions, and we want to do them in such a way that it's not, we're not reading in one ear and out the other. We really want to think about what God's saying to us there. We want to ask questions. Consider them. We want to meditate on God's Word. Resources can help you do this. You want to take you can do this in 10, 15 minutes in the morning. Some people can do it in less. I'm not wired that way. But you know, get yourself an, an ESV study Bible or a CSB study Bible, both great resources. And what happens is oftentimes you have a question and then you look down in the footnotes and they're like, hey, this is what that means. And you're like, oh, it makes good sense. Or hey, here are three different ideas about what that means. Study God's word. Read it. Hear the word. Come on the Lord's day. Listen to God's word proclaimed learn and let that word move you to worship study the word together attend bible study on wednesday nights make it a point to attend our men's and women's groups lastly pray the word god speaks to us in the bible and we speak to god in prayer pray sometimes i think we feel tempted that we have to kind of invent new methods of prayer rather than that which is given to us in the, in the Bible. We don't. Right? Read God's Word, which is where you hear God's voice, is in His Word, and pray God's Word back to Him. Follow Jesus' model of prayer. Right? We pray it at the end of every service. We pray that Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. Like That's Jesus' answer. The disciples say, how do we pray, Jesus? And this is how, that's how Jesus answers. So you can look at that and actually use it, Martin Luther did, as a model to kind of 
as a springboard to get to your own prayer. Right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Right? Lord, let me hallow your name today. You are holy. You are good. You are other than. I thank you for giving me your name when you adopted me into your family and on down the road with each section of it. We, we want to be a people who pray God's word so that we are familiar with God's word. And we want to pray with and for one another. More on that later. These are all ways that we can renew our minds and make sure that we are putting away falsehoods, false doctrine in particularly, and speaking truth to one another, speaking true doctrine to each other. And this will build up the body of Christ. Secondly, I think this passage calls us to put away the falsehood of false faces. Remember, he says, speak the truth with his neighbor because we are members of one another. Lies divide. They are an affront to God and to the body. You remember in Acts chapter 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira? Remember, they sell all their land and they give a large portion of it to the church, to Peter. But they lie, and when they're giving the money to, to Peter, they're, they're like, hey, this is all of it. This is all the money. Well, we, we recognize like they're after some, some praise and approval among their peers. They want to be people of reputation. So it's not, I mean, they did give a large sum of money to the church, so it's not that big a deal that they lied about the sum of money, right? Wrong. What happens? They both die. Right? Peter, Peter says, hey, you lied, and I think Ananias dies first. I can't remember. He dies. People carry him out to bury him. Sapphira rolls in. She was at home doing her makeup or something. I don't know. But, but she takes there. He was waiting on a woman. She didn't show up till later. So she, she shows up, and Peter says, how much did you sell the land for? And she says, yeah, same amount as Ananias. And he says, hey, the, the feet of the people who buried your husband, they're going to bury you too. And she dies. And the reason is, is that she's lied to the Holy Spirit, who is God, and she's lied to the church. Lies divide. Divide us from, from God and from, from one another. This is a, a potential source of division, a potential source of disunity in the early church. And at that point, God says, we're just zero-tolerance policy here. And they are judged appropriately. Friends, we need to be a people who do not put on false faces trying to impress one another. But your, your goal when you come to church, when you interact with other members, shouldn't be for everybody to think about how awesome you are and how impressive you are. Your goal should be to have authentic and real relationships. I mean, you can live the hypocritical Christian life, I guess, but God knows your heart. We can only hide behind falsehood for so long. Because eventually you will stand before him. Putting on a false face will rob you of the wonderful blessing of having real relationships with real people in this local church. We want to be a people who speak the truth to one another. Friends, be willing to be humble and honest and be vulnerable with one another. It will help us grow in unity and maturity. It'll help us grow up. 
And so we see that Paul wants us to grow up in unity by speaking the truth with one another and not lies. He also wants us to mature by speaking that which is helpful rather than that which is harmful. Look with me at verse 29. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, that shouting, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Arnold points out that the word translated corrupted or foul or unwholesome means or has a basic meaning of rotten or putrid. It was used to refer to rotted wood, diseased lungs, rancid fish, withered flowers, and rotten fruit. The image of rottenness suggests that Paul wants believers to develop a kind of gag reflex to unhealthy ways of talking, a gag reflex that will repulse them and cause them to clean up the way they speak about and to one another. I love that image of a, of a gag reflex to corrupt talk. Well, what do you think about when you think about your gag reflex? For me, I think about like raw oysters. I, I know... I know some of you all love them, but, but to me, it's just like jello wrapped in snot that you're trying to... <laughs> disgusting. A little, little gag going on now. But this is the way we are supposed to react to rotten speech. We need to develop a gag reflex to speaking and hearing gossip and shouting and slander and malice. When someone is speaking gossip to you or you begin to speak gossip to somebody else, you should all of a sudden get that uh, rancid fish kind of feeling. Because this is not the fitting of the people of God. Rotten speech is unhealthy for the body. And rotten speech, did you see? Not only does it harm the body, verse 30, grieves the Holy Spirit. Grieves the Holy Spirit. Friends, do you need to ask God's forgiveness for such rotten speech? Maybe the tone with which you spoke to your parents this morning. Or maybe you were just talking to a friend and doing some venting? Maybe you shouted at someone, slandered someone. And you do know that the command to put away falsehood and to speak truth to one another also applies to social media, right? What do your, your posts and your likes and your shares say about the God you serve? Is your speech there Rotten? Is it truthful and loving? We want to be a people who is quick to repent. Quicker to repent than we are to sin. 
Let's be a people who develop a healthy gag reflex to corrupt talk. We don't speak to one another with rotten words, but with ripe words. Do you see that in the second part of verse 29? No corrupting talk, that's the negative, and here's the positive, but only such, such talk, as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Speech that builds up is gracious. It blesses those who hear it. And so we want to be the kind of people that have conversations that leave the folks we're talking to walking away going, eh, I feel pretty good. That was a good interaction. Rather than walking away feeling totally torn apart. And so how do we practice ripe speech or speech that builds up? You can see that's one of the goals of the chapter, right? Verse 12, building up the body of Christ. Verse 15, we speak the truth in love. We're to grow up in every way into Christ. And then at the end of verse 16, we're to grow. The whole body grows, so it builds itself up in love. And so we want to go, well, how do we give speech that builds up? And it starts with refusing that strategy of Satan, which says, forget them all. Come with me where you'll never, never have to worry about grown-up things at all. It begins with saying, I'm actually going to take responsibility for the way I speak to others. My speech isn't going to be just about me. It's going to be about those to whom I am speaking. And so, how do we build up? A few ways. First, we want to give, the others, give others the benefit of the doubt when correction is needed and speak the truth in love. We talk about this all the time. As a church, we are committed to one another, accountable to one another. And so we expect kind of first-order church discipline to be happening between us, one member to another, all the time. We should be lovingly correcting one another when there is besetting and habitual sin, or sin that needs corrected. And I'm not, I'm not calling you to be the sin police and, uh, you know, you hear somebody uh, say a, a, you know, what's that, a curse word and you're like, listen, it's not, not what I'm calling you to do. We're calling to help one another follow Jesus faithfully. So we want to correct with love. And we have a, a kind of a picture of what that looks like at the beginning of chapter 4. Right? We're to correct with love and with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We aim to speak the truth to one another in love because to be loveless in our correction is to sow dissension unnecessarily. Yes, the truth divides. But all too often I think it is our loveless presentation of the truth that is divisive. Love does not compromise the truth, but it ought to govern how we communicate the truth with one another. So we want to correct one another in love and so build up the body of Christ in maturity. Secondly, I think we can use speech that builds one another up by simply sharing what God is teaching us through His Word. Did you ever think about like, your daily devotion is not just about you? It's not just for you. It's for 
others. So when you're thinking about what you're learning from God and what you don't understand about a particular text, it's actually really helpful for, for you to, to go out when you're interacting with one another say, hey, I was doing this in my devotions and I have no idea what this particular passage means. What do you think? Or I like to, to do, I always say, like a, try to find a note of a chapter in the morning, you know, kind of the melody line or the main idea, and, and take that and put it in my pocket and pull it out throughout the day and kind of look at it and think about it. You know, um, one, when I was going through Ruth recently, was uh, emptiness is not the end. That's how I summarized the whole book. Remember, uh, Naomi goes, she leaves Bethlehem, her sons die, her husband dies, she has nothing, she says, call me Mara, I'm bitter, and she's completely empty of all life. It looks like there's no hope, and then at the end of the book, we see that God has blessed her. She went out empty, and she comes back full. God gives her a redeemer. And then ultimately we know that that David comes from that line, and, and eventually Jesus. And so all throughout my time in Ruth, I was kind of meditating on that line, from empty to full. I tried to share it with friends and, and family. People come with, hey, did you, from empty to full, I've been thinking about all of these scenes in Ruth. And it can be really encouraging. You can do that. You should use your devotions to do that. Don't let them be in one ear and out the other. And at the end of your 10 or so minutes, or maybe you take an hour, it's just, that's it. Okay, I did that. I checked the box. No, no. Ruminate. Renew your mind. Use your devotions for others. Use Use the Sunday sermon for others. I implore you. I implore you that, that when you come, this wouldn't be the last you hear of this particular message. This is, if you don't know this, this is the most important thing I do every week happens in, in the hour or so that we are together. It's where the majority of my time goes. And my hope is that it would serve you throughout the week. I'm not asking you to be able to recall perfectly sermons from two months ago or even two weeks ago. I can hardly do that. What I am encouraging you to do is write things down. Think about it. I know some of you encourage me, like, hey, I pull that manuscript up online and I I scroll through it. I sometimes check out some of your sources and, and, and I think about it. I'm talking about it. Do that. Use what you learn in the sermon to be moved to worship. And then take that and teach it to others with hopes that they too will be moved to worship God as they see more of His character and His greatness and His glory in His Word. Share. Thirdly, pray with others. This is really practical. When someone says, hey, can you pray for so-and-so, try to make a practice, and I'm not perfect at this, but try to make a practice of saying, okay, let's pray for, for Bob right now. Because what happens is you actually do the praying. If you're like me sometimes, you're like, gotcha, praying for you. And then you've forgotten it. And like the next time you see that person, you're like, oh yeah, I was supposed to pray about such and such. Pray with one another. Pray together. Praying can help build up the body. This is speech that builds up the body in maturity and unity. And then lastly, encourage, 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 encourage. Send notes to one another. I always like to say, uh, you know, I try to catch my kids when they're doing something wrong, right? But we want to we also catch our kids, and we want to catch one another when they're doing good and call it out. It can really make a difference. So one of my favorite memories from my time here is I had a particular member pull me aside and give me some specific encouragement. And, and I thought when she, I mean, I knew she knew me pretty well, but I was like, I don't know if she knows me that well if she's saying this, right? Uh, 
I, I'm, those of you who know me, I'm not the, the most gentle of people, uh, but, but she pulled me aside one Sunday and said, Justin, I want you to know that I have seen a gentleness growing in you, and I, I just wanted to let you know that. And here I am, years later now, going, I remember that. It was encouraging to me then and encouraged me, continues to encourage me, to try and pursue something I'm not really good at naturally, which is gentleness. Encourage one another. We can't do it enough. Nobody suffers from having too much encouragement. I mean, you'd have to be a pretty big jerk with somebody encouraging you, like, stop it, I've had enough. Enough of those encouraging words. Say something mean. We want to build up the body of Christ by speaking truth, not lies. That which is helpful rather than that which is harmful. Right? No rotten speech. We want to use ripe speech. And we want to speak in a way that is Christ-like rather than worldly. And here's the big contrast in our text. You see that hinge verse in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So if you take verse 17, don't walk like the world, and then Paul tells us how to be off with the old, on with the new, and says what all this means, being off with the old, on with the new, how to walk not like the world. You need to walk like Christ. You need to walk in love. You've been born again. Now it's time for you to mature and to walk in the way of Christ. Friends, there is a great connection between our walking and our living, between our words and our walking. You probably heard that, right? You're going to walk and talk as Christians, as those who know God. Sometimes when I'm watching sports, one of my favorite things, this is probably degenerate of me, I don't know, I love when, especially basketball players, talk trash to one another. I just love it. You can see them jawing at one another and you know, make a big shot and they're you know, shimmying and, and just you know, stunting on one another a little bit. I love that. But, but as Christians, we're not called to talk trash to one another or to talk down to one another. We're not called to be trash talkers, but to be truth talkers. I know that's kind of lame, but you'll remember it, right? We don't want to be trash talkers. We want to be truth talkers. We want to talk and walk in the way of Christ, the one who spoke to us those wonderful words of life when he called us to lay down our sins and to come to him and find rest for our weary souls, to come to him and have each and every sin, past, present, and future, forgiven when we believed in him. We want to be like Jesus. We want to speak truth. We want to build one another up. We want to build the church up in maturity and unity. I'm going to be off with the old and on with the new. Friends, we must grow up and give no opportunity to the devil in the way we speak to one another. We want to speak the truth in love. So I'll leave you with this in conclusion. Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What does our speaking as a church to one another say about us? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your beautiful words, your wonderful words of life. 
We recognize that death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. And we pray that we would be a kind of people who speak life to one another rather than death. People that speak like Jesus rather than people that speak like the world. And so we pray once more this morning, Psalm 19:14. let the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this giving thanks in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.